Hello, and thank you, everyone, for joining me today. My name is Mel Janelle. I'm your host of Parents Voice, and we are going to be discussing today what our options are when we feel like we have not received the the justice that we deserve in our court cases. And on this show, we will be um, discussing family relations and the the, the general um, the general trend in society now to separate families. You know, we're going through so much that um, involves uh, social distancing, staying staying apart, video conferencing, and then we even have those um, aspects where um, people are, you know, being asked to wear masks, and some people find it. Um, disconnecting, disconcerting, that they can't read the, the the body language and the facial expressions that we're used to having available to us. And so we're we're all feeling that strain. At first it was, I, I think it's just kind of trickling down in society. At first it was most people who face some type of criminal, criminal courts and they were the ones who were dealing with the wrongful convictions and the, the wrongful prison sentences and We've seen so many Hollywood movies about that, and as a matter of fact, one of the movies that we're going to discuss today is the new movie with Jamie Foxx, um, Michael B. Um, I can't remember his last name, but it's called Just Mercy. And um, Hollywood has been trying to tell us for years about the injustices in the criminal system that uh, people face all across um, the world, uh, regardless of your ethnicity or your gender. As a matter of fact, more women are going to prison these days than before. But uh, now it's the injustices are, people are facing them more. Uh, at, at one point in time, it was lawsuits and people who were um, successful and wealthy just facing frivolous lawsuits for merely being successful. And then now we have um, parents and families who are being torn apart in juvenile courts. And juvenile courts have actually been, similar to the criminal courts, they've also been uh, known for their their bias and their injustice and their injustice and their ties to the uh, prison industrial complex. And there's been so many judges recently who have been um, outed for getting kickbacks for arresting. So we as human citizens, we have to come together. We have to um, wake up out of our slumber. We can't allow ourselves to be represented by people who are who don't have our best interests at heart. Once we realize that they're not doing that job, once you have that public pretender, once you have that um, those politicians who say one thing and then they get into their position, it gives them different, you start realizing the importance it is for you to have that knowledge to represent yourself. And that is what this show is all about. It's about not relying on other people to represent you who you feel are more qualified or have better speech or better connected or more education or a more experience with the law. You can represent yourself. The Constitution was designed that way, but many of us have forgotten that we've gotten so relaxed that we have just letting our rights uh, just wither away. But freedom isn't free in order to preserve these rights. We have to exercise them just like you exercise a muscle. You don't exercise that right, it will atrophy. So I'm going to teach you today about how to represent yourself in any type of situation in court, um, when dealing with any type of government official in business, how to, to say things to limit your liability or to completely eliminate your liability. And um, 
more importantly, I'm going to talk about some of the news and give you the knowledge of the law so that way you won't have to take my word for it. This is not me telling you to um, take my advice. This is me telling you what the law says and what your actual options are, regardless of what the media tells you. So today my first story is going to be about um, Attorney General Barr takes on human trafficking and child welfare system. So this is a story that I got from the National File, and that website is nationalfile.com slash watch-attorney-general-bar-takes-on-human-trafficking-in-child-welfare-system. So it's pretty easy to find. You just put all dashes. Watch Attorney General Barr take on human trafficking in child welfare system. And there's no, and that's the um, the end of it. And Barr is spelled, spelled with two R's. And this article is written by Patrick Howley, who, um, if you follow him on Twitter, he's a pretty, pretty, um, he's a reporter that talks about a lot of the different scandals and uh, is not afraid to, um, to talk about the things that matter most to people, regardless of what's uh, most popular. So here we have an article that, um, to let you know, parents, that, that you're making progress. We are making progress here. We see that um, our very own president and the Attorney General of the United States is looking into human trafficking and child welfare, what we've been talking about all this time about how the human trafficking that we talk about, where do they get their kids from? They get them from foster care. They get them from us. We are the breeders for society, according to them, and they can make up any type of false allegation, um, violate your rights in these kangaroo uh, juvenile courts, take your child, and sell them to the highest bidder, uh, whoever, whoever's willing to um, do the most in order to to get them, uh, including throw you under the bus, um, they're willing to give them to them. And it's not about them being in a better home, it's about them making money from the federal dollars that come from each and every child that is placed in the foster care and the bonuses that are made each and every time a child is adopted out, even though these child, children had loving families um, and these parents were never convicted of any crime. They were simply accused of possibly um, providing their children with a unsafe and unfit environment. However, there was no actual abuse or neglect. Many times it's a situation of potential neglect, and your child has been adopted from you, put into a home with complete strangers, given a new name, many times uh, sexually abused and trafficked, as uh, we're talking about in this article. And in the meantime, there has been uh, nothing done by the parents. Um, many times these parents are actually victims of domestic violence themselves, and instead of helping the parent, they are basically kicked father down for not being able to um, fight against their abuser. And if they, of course, if you had fought against your abuser, then you would have been uh, in, in additional trouble. So I'm not advocating for that. But uh, you're not being protected by your police system. They are allowing these things to take place in order to um, profit off of your dysfunction. So I'm going to read the article to you just so you know. Attorney General William Barr directly addressed the scourge of human trafficking in the American child welfare system in his speech 
at the White House Summit in Human Trafficking. Related article, ex-CPS worker charged with human trafficking. And this related article is also under national file. And here we have more on this article that emblematic in many ways is one horrific case I briefly I briefed on recently in the Southern District of New York, a very dedicated team of prosecutors doggedly pursued a few of the leads and ended up convincing 19 defendants in Manhattan with sex trafficking of minor girls and young women in the New York State child welfare system. In other words, children who society has a special obligation to protect ended up being instead exploited. Attorney General Barr stated, the DOJ announced on that case, the DOJ announcement on that case makes clear the chilling level of manipulation that went into procuring sex victims for a Westchester County residential treatment facility. In August 2019, uh, it was exposed that child molestation and prostitution allegations in in the California child welfare system um, sparked discussion on the for-profit industry of child removal by child protective services agencies. So here we talk about the similar um, tasks that are taking place. You have um, all of these government agencies that are tasked with the special op- uh, obligation to protect these, uh, to protect their citizens, domestic violence victims, children. Yet they use their opportunity to profit and instead end up hurting the people who are most vulnerable. So I just thought I'd share that story with you to know that you cannot trust these agents that you interact with, and I will be following up on a show that will give you tips on how to deal with a government agent if you ever do have the misfortune of encountering one. But with my tips, you will be empowered and ready to take them on, and they will walk away from you, uh, knowing that you are fully aware of your rights and they cannot play any games. The next article I wanted to talk about was uh, the current pandemic and the current mask requirements. I wanted to give you a little bit more details about your options so you can decide. Um, If you want to wear a face mask because it makes you feel safe, by all means, you know, even beyond the coronavirus, face masks are helpful for just general dust, you know, if it's a construction area, cold, anything. I mean, there's plenty of reasons to wear one, but you should not wear one if you um, do not feel that it is going to be safe for you. And you actually do have certain <laughs> exemptions from wearing a face mask that you should be aware of. So that way you can know your rights, whether to wear or whether to not wear. So the people who have the following exemptions from a face mask are persons younger than two and children who are at risk of suffocation. People with a medical condition, mental health condition, or disability that prevents wearing a face covering. This includes a medical condition for whom wearing a face covering could obstruct breathing or who are, who are unconscious, incapacitated, or otherwise unable to remove a face covering without assistance. Persons who are hearing impaired, persons whom 
uh, it would create a risk for their profession. Uh, if you're getting something, a service done to your face, uh, if you're eating, if you're working outside, and if you're otherwise able to maintain a six-foot distance from other people. So if you're in a public space and six feet of distance is physically possible, well, then you don't... Um, well, this is, you don't have to wear a face covering when six feet distance is physically possible. However, you also don't have to wear one if you are just, you know, because you can't breathe, you know, and you don't, and by the way, if anyone says, well, what medical condition do you have that will prevent you from wearing your face covering, you just politely tell them that um, I do not have to disclose my medical condition to you. That's part of my privacy. Or that would be a, uh, the HIPAA protects that, and um, I have the right to breathe oxygen if that is necessary for me to to live, and my medical condition uh, supports that. That's the end of that. So I don't want people to feel like um, they don't know the rules, and I'm going to also offer the link to uh, both the North Carolina in the California, these are states that I've, I've recently visited, and I'll probably add Alaska to the list. I mean, anybody who uh, has a state that they'd like to see the executive order from their governor, um, just ask, and I'll be more than happy to provide the link on my page for your state. Um, and if you have the link that you could provide to me to add up there, I'll be more than happy to receive that and add that so others in your state can know exactly what the state policy is. So those are my most recent news, uh, <clears throat> and I also wanted to talk about um, the different avenues that you have if you have already um, had the fortune of coming into contact, and what are your op options now that you have a government agent in your and you want to know how to deal with them in such a way to get them to leave. And I have several techniques I'm going to share with you right now on what to do legally in the court systems when you have a civil or criminal court case. Uh, today, my focus is going to be on appeals. Um, the appeals process is when you have had a hearing on a given matter, and at this hearing, uh, you don't like the outcome. Perhaps the judge ruled in a way that was not favorable to you, and it wasn't just not favorable. Uh, it actually was illegal. And judges make mistakes. We like to believe that they're right, and when they slam their gavel, they make us feel like this is a, this is it, and it's the final order. But guess what? It is not final. All right. So I'm going to give you everyone an analogy. Have you ever called customer service and you wanted to speak to um, someone that could help with an issue you had? Maybe you didn't receive your order. Maybe something. Maybe you're charged incorrectly, and you call the first person, and they just don't want to help you. They just seem like uh, they're just not in the mood to help you today. Now, some people would be frustrated by this, but there, there's two options. You can call and get another customer service 
service agent, or you can ask to be to speak with um, a person who is their manager or has more power and authority than they do. And usually at that point in time, they'll either solve their issue themselves or they'll go ahead and transfer you to them, and that person will indeed have the authority and exercise their authority to give you the resolution that you are seeking. This is what the appeals process is. Um, I feel so sad when I talk to parents who are feeling like they received injustice in their court cases, and they don't take the time to appeal because they don't know or because their public pretender has told them that there's nothing appealable, but there are always appealable things, and there's always an argument if you know how to find them. So the first argument that can be made in any appeal that I notice happens um, across all jurisdictions, regardless of what state, um, what county it's in, and this has a lot to do with just the fact that they use the same tactics, and regardless of um, where they're located, they still have to follow um, federal federal guidelines, federal laws, as well as international and national laws, uh, human rights laws. And the first step is each and every time you have a hearing, they must have done a review to see if it is physically possible or at all possible to return the child to you. Now, if they haven't communicated with you, if they haven't um, taken this step to see if there's anything at all possible, if they're just regurgitating old information that was already there, they don't have any status update, or you've initiated a status update and they haven't, they've um, particularly ignored it because they don't, it doesn't suit their dialogue. Well, in that case, you would appeal because they did not follow the uh, the procedure. And in a civil court, there are procedures that must be followed. These procedures must be followed in order to ensure that justice is preserved. And when these procedures aren't followed, it isn't simply an error. Oh, it's just an oversight. You know, this is no big deal. When procedures aren't followed, those are technicalities that you want to jump on and take advantage of because they show that they are being completely, um, they're disregarding the law, the same law that they're accusing you of breaking. They're disregarding it, and you don't want to um, merely overlook that. Now, I can't say for sure which arguments are always going to work because different judges respond to different arguments. However, the more arguments you, you present, the better. And you don't want to overlook something and say, oh, this is no petty, this is just a small thing, this, this will probably be nothing, because they didn't do that with you. They didn't overlook your accidents and your flaws and your weaknesses. They, they used any small thing that they could to, to take your children away from you or take your freedom away from you, and you shouldn't be so lenient with them. Any mistake they make, you should be the first one to call it out, to address it, to point it out, to bring it up and to show how it created a bias in your trial in order to cause you to be harmed by being punished excessively because they did not um, follow the procedure in that civil court. So the first procedure, of course, is assessing your ability to parent your children and to return the kids home. If they didn't even try, that's the first reason why you want to that they are not trying to reunite your family but actually trying to destroy your family. The second thing that you 
can hold against them is a failure to disclose exculpatory evidence. And I'm going to repeat that so that way anyone who wants to write that down can write that down. And that is failure to disclose exculpatory evidence. This can be used in a criminal trial. This can be used in a civil trial. Uh, anything that involves a state prosecutor. This can't be used in uh, personal claims that you have maybe between you and someone else. This can only be used in the situation where the state has the burden of proving um, that you did something wrong because the state has an additional burden that's different from a private individual. The state can't merely, you know, they have, they're, held, they're held to a higher standard. If they know that you are innocent or they, they, they uh, obtain information that was prove that whatever case they had against you is wrong, they're obligated under federal law to disclose that information. They just can't prosecute you because they feel like prosecuting you. And they can't say, oh, well, it's my job to prosecute, so therefore I'm not going to disclose this information. No, that's not how it works. They have to, they have to work for justice. They, they can't work for their own personal agendas. So... If they're maliciously prosecuting you by failing to disclose exculpatory evidence, which would uh, possibly exonerate you, reduce your um, whatever penalty or that you're getting, anything that would be in your favor or that would undermine their argument, they're legally obligated to disclose that information to you. And they withhold that information, it proves that they are being malicious they have willfully and intentionally misled the court in that alone. So what is an example of exculpatory information? Okay. Well, let's say that you've been accused of, um, let's say you've been accused of a violent crime. You've been accused of beating someone. And the information is discovered, the truthful information is discovered that the person that you have been accused of beating was actually attacking you and you were defending yourself. That comes out and is proven to be true. If the prosecutor has that information and willfully suppresses it and continues to try to prosecute you, that is an example of withholding exculpatory information. They, had, they knew that you were being attacked and that you were defending yourself, but because they had some other agenda whereby they needed to prosecute you, they continued on, even with the knowledge that you are completely innocent, or you, there could be some could have been innocent understanding. This is illegal, but people don't know that. They think that the prosecutor can just do whatever they want to do. They're held by ethical standards and federal standards as well. Another example of exculpatory evidence, um, 
they you're accused of um, there's a bruise in your child. They don't know how it got there, and they find out later the child was actually playing with his friend and and got hurt. They continue to prosecute you for negligence, knowing that uh, an accident that typically happens to children. They're, they're, they're breaking the law, ladies and gentlemen, and you do not have to sit by and just act like it's no big deal. So let's move on to the next subject. So our third reasoning why you would file for an appeal is if... Um, they missed deadlines. So, for example, if they waived time on your trial and you didn't agree to waive time and they decided to go and hold your hearing past the 90 days or past the 30 days that they required and they took 120 days to do it, this is something that you need to bring it up. And bring up every single thing that they do because they're keeping a report on you. They're reporting back on you. Um, everything that you do, and you need to keep a report on them. So document everything, keep reports, um, keep track of your deadlines, and you may you may want to even buy or purchase a binder with paper um, paper preservers, plastic paper covers, because what this will do is it will allow you to keep track of all the documents that they give you, keep them straight, keep them from being crumpled up, um, allow you to look professional, have them all in one place, and when you go to court, you have your binder with all your documents there, and you let them know that you are just as prepared with your documentary evidence as they are, and that you are not relying on them for copies or you haven't just showed up in your pajamas and rolled out of bed hoping that they're going to take care of you, you are in the driver's seat of your freedom and you're ready to do what it takes to make it happen. And I encourage people everywhere, um, don't let your your lawyer tell you what to do. Um let them give you advice. Your your attorney is your advisor. They're not your boss. They can't tell you what's best for you. The only person who knows what's best for you is you. So you have to take responsibility over your life, decide what things are going to take and how much you're not. So I encourage parents to... Um, look into those things. Now, once you have decided that you want to appeal, and I encourage people to appeal at every stage of the, the court process, and why is this? Well, this is because... Your microphone's a bit off. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> okay, go ahead. Okay, I encourage everyone to appeal... At every stage of the court process, don't wait until they are uh, sentencing you or terminating your parental rights or signing you up for a case plan. You have to appeal 
the first day you have a hearing. Now, you may ask, why is it important to appeal everything that seems a bit petty, that seems a bit a lot of paperwork, a lot of work? Well, this is why. It's just a precedent. You don't want them to think that you're just going to take things laying down. You're going to just, oh, you know, they need to know that you're going to fight them tooth and nail, and every single time they file something, you're going to file a rebuttal, and they're going to have a lot of work cut out for them because they choose who they're going to prosecute. They choose people that they think are ignorant, and if you're not ignorant, they choose you because maybe they figure you're uh, maybe your family hasn't ab- abandoned you. Maybe you're having some type of difficulty. Uh, they like to choose people who are already victims. Um, they pick on the the, the victim. They they're bullies. So you don't want them to give them the idea of an easy one. You want them to know that this is going to be a long, drawn out process, lots of fighting, and that usually alone is enough to discourage them from taking on a legal battle with you. Um, so think strategically, like you would for any fight, and know that. Uh, it's not all about power. A lot of times you can wear your enemy out and, and simply make them tired and discourage them and um, use all types of tactics, that, the same types of tactics that they're using on you in order to win your case. Um, now, when you file this appeal, there are certain time frames that you have to be mindful of. And they hold you to these time frames, which is the same reason why I say that you have to hold them to their time frames. If they're willing to build your case out or your documents out because they, they were submitted one day late, if their documents are submitted one day late, you need to make an issue of that because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you can't file your documents one day late, they can't file their documents one day late. So um, immediately after a court date, you usually have about one week to file a notice of appeal. So you want to immediately go down the same day that you're at court, or as soon as you find out, you want to go down to the courthouse where you're at and ask them for a form, a notice, notice of appeal form, and this is at the clerk's office. The clerk has all the forms that you need. Um, sometimes the clerk wants to help you, sometimes the clerk, you never know who they have their allegiance to. But um, the clerk can possibly help you with getting formed. So you want to get the appeals form, and then you want to get a JV 825 form, which is the actual appeal. And not the notice to appeal, but the actual appeal, which you're going to fill out. Now, this appeal form, uh, whenever you file a motion or you make an opening statement, it comes with, um, this is after you. You usually have some time to file this appeal. And many times you can get an attorney to file an appeal for you, but if not, you can file your own appeal as well. And what you want to do is you want to get all of your supporting evidence together. And this supporting evidence usually involves <coughs> other cases. It involves uh, which they call case law. Um, these are the precedents that have been established before you. How have judges ruled on appeals before you? If parents or people who have been accused have been in the same position as you before, and they have appeals. So you want to look at those appeals and then look at the appeals that um, 
are similar to yours and that the judge ruled in favor to you and you want to use those in your argument to support why this judge should do the same thing because this is the precedent that was established. So you want to find applicable case law and then after that you want to find the applicable uh, motions and statutes for institution codes for your state to support um, the legal aspect of your argument. And in addition to the case law, you want to reference the actual um, the transcript of the case and where the judge erred in his application of the law. So you want to refer to your record, which means you would need to support transcripts as well as your documentation to support that in reference. Other than that, that's all you need. It's very simple. You could write your appeal. I would say if you are completely new and have no legal writing experience, and you could write your appeal in two weeks. And I say two weeks because I like Greek. I don't want anyone to just sit down and try to write anything in one sitting. It's great to go back and look over things and get resources and to call people and to find what you need and to get. This is to give you the, the time to go through the whole process as a beginner. Um, you know, get your drafting paper, your legal paper, um, your computer set up, and you know all the addresses of all the people in the party that you're going to serve. This is an opportunity for you to get all of those things set up. So, I would say. Two weeks, and usually in appeal, um, they give you uh, several months in order to, to to get your appeal in. This is the time that the the court reporter has to prepare the transcripts, all the documents have to be prepared, all of the file has to be um, prepared for the discoveries, what they call, um, as well as you, you doing your own research at a law library or whatever resource that you use, but. I would say that it takes about um, maybe two weeks to really just kind of go back and refer, and that's just, and that's not working like eight hours a day. That's working about uh, maybe working on your appeal for one to two hours a day, and just um, dedicating that time, things that aside that time to to little by little work on the project, and um, also giving your time to proofread for errors and to go back and look and have maybe someone else look over your work and give you ideas and suggestions over things that you might want to add or an argument you may have missed or would like to expand upon. So those are my um, those are my um, ideas and suggestions for fighting for your rights. You don't have to um, you don't have to overlook things or just assume that things don't matter, um, know that parents have come before you and when you stand on that ground and when you do your research and you find out, um, you know, and when people know that you're not ignorant and you're empowered, you're, you'd be amazed at the things that you can accomplish. So, um, if anybody wants to call in and ask questions, you can feel free to call in at one eight eight eight.
can use the law to represent yourself.